Conservation Tribe. I'm your host, Blaine Edwards, aka Earth Offline. On this podcast, I talk with a range of conservationists every single week, from scientists, students, creatives, innovators, and everyone in between. I hope this can be a platform for conservationists to share their story, educate, collaborate, and ultimately inspire action. So if you want to join our conservation tribe, then make sure to hit subscribe and enjoy the podcast. Welcome back to the Conservation Tribe. I'm your host, Blaine Edwards, aka Earth Offline, and today we are joined by Roxy Rogan, an award-winning filmmaker, environmentalist, entrepreneur, and founder of Wild Education. So cheers, mate, for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. You make me sound great. (laughs) (laughs) That's my job. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So the general theme of today's podcast is going to be around conservation and environmental education and how you specifically approach it and the tools and mediums, I guess, that you use and why you use them. So before we get stuck into that, can you please give the podcast a little intro on who you are and what you do? Okay, I'm Roxy Rogan and I'm the founder of Wild Education um, and basically I'm in the realm of conservation education so I do things like uh, making environmental documentaries, um, schooling programs, um, ecotourism and yeah, basically educating the public about the environment in holistic ways. Mm-hmm. So you approach it from a holistic manner which is obviously smart because it's a complex issue but your three main ways that you do it is through you said filmmaking so your films yeah and then also you you run like little workshops with kids at schools yeah yep. so school programs workshops and then also ecotourism so i work with different partners overseas okay. um, yeah and that, that schooling is that in australia or is that overseas as well or both just just in australia for now but um the long-term goal is to have it online so it can be more accessible to people around the world but yeah for the nice. moment australia yeah yeah online education is huge mm, it is huge. yeah and especially sure. in conservation as well okay yeah. so that's the gist of what you do what inspired the project um so Basically, what inspired me to start my business um, was I actually interned in South Africa when I was 18 and I came home and I was um, doing a year of environmental biology at um, uni and basically I just didn't find a job that fit the description of what I wanted to do in my life with conservation. Um, So I decided to make my own business and kind of stemmed from the inspiration I had when I was in Africa and working with animals and really being exposed to the world of conservation. Um, so a very unorthodox way of doing things. I dropped out of uni, made my own business all at 19. So it was very um, not the straight and narrow, but, um, yeah, that's that's how I got started with this. Yeah, I'm all for unorthodox approaches to mm. things. <laughs> Mine's relatively unconventional as well. Yeah. Um, okay, so you said that there when you first were interested in kind of figuring out what you wanted to do for the rest of your life, yeah. There was nothing that matched that description of, of what what you wanted to do. So what was that description just around education or are there some aspects to that description that you yet haven't kind of incorporated into what you're doing? Um, it was it was mainly the fact that um, when I was looking, so when I was at uni and I was looking at like long-term what I could do with my life in terms of jobs and careers and stuff like that, nothing fit into what I was capable of um, doing at that point in my life. 
And for me, there was also a sense of urgency to want to start doing things. So as you can imagine, I'm very passionate. I'm young. I've just come back from um, Africa. So it was like an urgency to start doing things now rather than waiting five years down the track, trying to get a job after uni. Um, So, yeah. And urgency in terms of you personally or like macro urgency as as macro urgency yeah the the planet needs some help asap (laughs) pretty much yeah so a bit of pressure i put on myself i suppose but it was it was um inspiration driven um to start yeah and what would you say the the goals and objectives are for world education and how are you hoping to achieve them Mm. i think like if we're just talking about my kind of my big aim or mission with WILD is to inspire people um, to make changes in their own lives to benefit themselves and the planet, pretty much put it in a nutshell. So I, you know, I hope through my business I can inspire people to, yeah, make make small changes in their lives as to what they want to do, um, you know, career-wise, um, different things they're learning about, um, different environmental aspects um, and to make those changes long term. So why I have a real big passion for schools as well is because I really want um, the younger generations as well to have, you know, a priority um, of the environment and that be a subject that they're passionate about and um, can see it's something of great importance. Um, yeah. Yeah, the educating the youth, I think we're starting to see the results of that through, you know, Extinction Rebellion and all these climate mm. protests that are happening around the world. Like this didn't happen when I was at school and it's in large part because it wasn't integrated into the schooling curriculum in such like a, like you'd, you'd learn about it, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't actually yeah. uh, too intense. You kind mm. of just brushed upon it. And yeah, and I think that's the fact that these kids are obviously learning about this, um, I'm assuming through their school, but probably also online. And we're starting to see the results from that, which I think are good. And that's only going to increase in momentum for the people that aren't a fan of it. Um, yeah, I don't think it's going away. And that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned films. So films are one way that you use to, to educate. Can you talk about the films that you've currently produced and yeah. what inspired those films and what messages were you hoping to convey through that, those films? Mm. Okay, so um, like pretty much everything I've done, it's um, with my business so far. It's all been lots of learning as I go um, on the fly, kind of learning. Um, so filmmaking was no different to that. Um, so my first film was *Person of the Forest*, which uh, was made 2016 in Borneo. Um, so I was an executive producer on that and had a team that helped um, make that, and that was all about orangutans. And it was like more of a glimpse into um, the environmental struggles in Indonesia, particularly in Borneo, um, and things, basic things that people can do to help. Um, so that was great because that was my first glimpse into the film world um, and had a great team who really guided me and showed me the way of um, how filming works and how it can inspire people. Um, so that film did well. Um, yeah, that one was an award-winning one. And, um, yeah, so that that does just show like a very basic glimpse into environmental struggles with orangutans, palm oil, um, and what people can do to help. Um, and then my most recent film, Keepers of the Forest, is uh, sim- it's kind of like a continuation of the first film. This was done in Sumatra. Um, I had bigger role um, to play in this one, and this was 
really focusing on, yes, the environmental impacts of, um, say, palm oil and deforestation, but a real big emphasis on what people are doing to help. So people on the ground in Indonesia, people here in Australia, and really trying to motivate the audience to see, like, we can actually do stuff and these are the tools that people are already using to make a difference Um, and trying to change that apathy people have for the environment into action rather than just, like, watching a documentary and getting sad and feeling like they can't do anything about it, feeling like, okay, I know the steps now to, to help, you know, help with this issue. Yeah, so they've been my my two films. Okay, from a I'm into film and photography. I mm. I was actually thinking of dropping out halfway through architecture school to to pursue a career in wildlife filmmaking, but that didn't eventuate. But mm. more is curious with um uh, people that are in, in these like more low budget kind of documentaries. Mm. What are the first steps? So, how many people were in your team? Is it necessary? to have that many people? Could you do it with you in a, a couple of months? Like what are the kind of the bare essentials to kind of get this thing started for those that are interested in maybe doing that one day? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, firstly, I just say to anyone who is interested in filmmaking, you don't have to necessarily do a degree in filmmaking to be a filmmaker. I certainly didn't. I don't have any degree in anything. So um, <laughs> you definitely can, but it's really good to have a support team. So. Um, I've had on both films very small teams um, who have helped me um, do everything basically. But you can definitely, it just depends on what kind of film you want to make. So you de- can definitely go on um, a very low budget and make a great film still. Um, but uh, yeah, so both of my films have not been high budgets at all and um, yeah, have had very small teams doing them and um, have still been able to produce really great um, documentaries. So it's definitely doable. It's just more about what the individual wants to make out of the film. And how, yeah. do you, how do you reach out to people to build your team? Are these people that are already people you know? Or, and then once you create the film, how do you then, what were your strategies to, to promote it? Mm. Yeah, so um, the teams the teams that I've had for for both films have been um, similar people, um, and so I have a small um, connection here in Australia of people that I know um, who can do various things, um, filming, editing, composing, um, who have all been great. And then after the film's made, that's like one of the hardest parts of actually making a film is distribution. Um, so for me personally, um, using them in schools is a big thing for me. Um, that's actually why I make most of my films is for educational purposes, um, whether it be in school or otherwise, but that's kind of my main aim. Um, but then you basically reach out to distribution agencies if you want it online. So mine's in two distribution agencies, so Doc Play and EcoStreams. Um, you can do free online platforms, YouTube, Vimeo, there's lots of ways of doing it, but again, it just depends on on what you want to do. If you make a great, really high budget film, you might want it on Netflix. To me, that's not really a possibility right now. But um, there's lots of ways of getting your films out there. But it's a lot of work. Yeah, it's the biggest part of it, I reckon. Yeah, that distribution at the end. Yeah, and the yeah. strategies around that. Yeah, yeah. W- one thing like that I'm interested in is obviously creating content, but creating content that's contextual to like a specific platform whether that's instagram or like if you're trying to do it for a t like a producing a documentary for a tv depending on where you're trying to where you want your content to end up kind of dictates in a lot of ways 
how you approach creating that content in the first mm-hmm. place. So for wildlife documentaries, are you seeing IGT, vertical videos? Are you seeing more um, people that are creating wildlife documentaries, which are kind of stripped back a bit, but uh, focus around mobile consumption? Mm. Yeah, I think that's definitely a way of the future. I think that um, probably traditionally uh, not so, but now that nowadays where people are always on their phones and the phone quality as well for some cameras is pretty good. It's ridiculous. So, um, yeah, you can definitely <clears throat> make a high-quality film just on your phone. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's definitely a way that um, filmmaking could be going. For me, it's not just that. That's not my focus at the moment. It's still um, more traditional and sense of um, online and in schools and stuff like that. But for sure, you can do it on Instagram, YouTube, yeah, mm-hmm. wherever. I just raised that point because I know there's maybe a lot of uh, filmmakers or to be filmmakers who are trying to, you don't need to approach it in such a in the box kind of yeah kind of way. Like there's so many different ways that you can do it, and um, you know we need as many people trying to tell the story of of conservation and whether that's approached in a range of different ways is you know, a mm-hmm. good thing. Um, so with your with your film, were there any things that you? What were the big things that you learnt through that process, whether for good or for bad? Oh, I learned lots, to be honest, because everything's uh, lots of things are new for me. So um, it's always a big learning curve. Um, I think in terms of making an environmental documentary, that um, nothing will go as planned. <laughs> um, everything that you think could go wrong usually does, and it's just about going with the flow, being able to, you know, be very um, problem-solving skills. That kind of thing really helps. Um, I also found that um, there is a fine balance between being realistic and being um, positive in what you're talking about. So you want to be able to um, portray realistic issues that are happening in the environment um, and show the problem but also really be able to provide a solution to the audience so as to not to overwhelm them as well. Yeah, they're probably my biggest challenges with those. I think that's a really important one, that being overwhelmed. Mm. You know, there's, there's a lot of these things that we're talking about are pretty serious and even when we just spit out the facts, they can, even though they're facts and, you know, facts are facts, but they can still be um, quite overwhelming and there's perhaps a way to communicate a fact in a way that's maybe less overwhelming and more um communicate in a way that we can actually are inspired to act upon it because it mm. can be disabling if you um uh, if when you're overwhelmed you just get frozen yeah absolutely. so i think that's a that's a challenge um mm. how can people watch your films um various ways so it's online um you can just go to my website uh, wildeducation.net and both of the films are up there and that's probably the easiest way to find them um yeah to so check it out on there yeah all right those links will be in the in the little show notes mm-hmm um, and why is environmental education important anyway? Why is it an important thing to do? Um, yeah, I mean, it's our, the environment is our home. It's our survival. It's, it's, it's everything. And to be able to understand it and what's going on in the world and how we are making an impact to our environment is important for our survival as a very basic thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, it is under threat and there are lots of big things happening in the world and education is empowering. So the more that you know about what's going on, the more that you feel like you can do. 
Um, so yeah, I do, I do think used in the right way can be incredibly mobilizing and empowering to, to know about what's going on and know the things that you can do to take action and yeah, help, help these issues. You touched on it before, um, the youth aspect, but how important is environmental education specifically for the youth, the general, you know, Gen X's and Gen Y's on a Gen Z's? Can't remember. There's a lot of them. Lots of them. Lots of them. But why is it important to instill in them this environmental wisdom? Mm, Well, I mean, it's our future. We're going to be the ones who have to deal with the consequences of what's happening to the environment. And yeah, I mean, we want to, I feel like it's so important because we want to be able to have some sort of control over our futures, over the quality of our air, our water, um, you know, I want to have children one day. I would like to think that they can experience some of the environmental things I've been able to experience. And yeah, it's our, it's our future. So to that, it's part of that problem is these are large scale issues are macro issues which affect our planet. And these things, the consequences aren't necessarily visible in the short term. So I think that is the challenge is these, there's issues now, but the dire consequences probably won't materialize till years down the track. And it's Mm -hmm. that years down the track, you know, the older people now may not be here. And therefore the the children of today, the youth of today are the ones that will be having to deal with those consequences when they, when they actually occur. That, that's a challenge in itself. The fact that it's, it's not like you can, these changes take time yeah. and if you can't show someone in like in the immediate future what's what's going on it's it's difficult for some people to process that as being something they should be worrying about right now absolutely which i i also totally understand so like i think us as humans we don't kind of want we don't actually forward think that much like if you try and think 50 100 years in the future hey we're probably not going to be here obviously, but it's, it's hard to envisage what is that going to look like. But people have their own problems. They have their own lives. They have their own day-to-day, just got to get through the day kind of mentality sometimes. So to think about, you know, the ice caps melting and polar bears drowning is kind of maybe not on their, you know, priority list, which mm-hmm. I totally understand. But I think with that comes a disconnect to our environment. So not seeing the environment as part of who we are may be causing why we can't, you know, see it as a priority because we don't feel that connection to it anymore. We're sometimes too detached from our own environments, mm. um, which I think, yeah, contributes to that kind of mentality. There's, it's hard to care about a polar bear if you're also struggling um, to to put food on the table and stuff for your family as well. And that's where if you're in a position like like me, I'm not loaded or anything, I'm, I'm still struggling myself, but I'm still in a fortunate position where I can actually think about these problems which are beyond myself. And that's kind of like a privilege in, 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 a, in a sense. If you've got some kind of financial security or you, you've got guaranteed like a roof over your head, it, it then allows you to think about these larger problems which um, don't affect your immediate survival. So, yeah, that's... That's another challenge in itself. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say are some other challenges associated with environmental education? Uh, there's lots, to be honest. Um, I think some of the ones that I personally face um, when educating the public about the environment is fear, to put it in one word, would be would be fear. So people are fearful of change. They're fearful of admitting that 
maybe they have responsibility in this bigger issue. Um, so trying to talk to people who don't want to see um, a different side to the story um, is challenging because there's a lot of resistance, a lot of pushback. Um, but I think the way that I've kind of, the way I work is making things relatable. So instead of instead of it making it such a macro issue and it seeming so extravagant and like they can't comprehend it, bringing it back to very basic things um, like you know, you want to be able to breathe in clean air. Do you have children? Do you have grandchildren? Like think of them. If you can't even think of yourself, then, you know, think of them. Um, and just trying to bring it back to them, um, you know, seems to work and it's not so overwhelming. Um, so that's probably one of the biggest challenges is um, getting through that fear that people have of um, the climate, which is such a real thing. Like it's scary, but it's important to not overwhelm people because, they just will not want to do anything and shove it in the back of their mind. That's why um, with my business, when I started, I made the conscious decision to not use like scare tactics or really graphic images in, in anything that I do. Um, I think it is important, but um, it's not my sole focus is to use that shock factor because people will repress it. You know, they don't want to think about that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that shock factor is has its place. Absolutely, um, we yeah. we kind of need a, a range of different things, but that yeah. shock factor may not work on on a, a certain type of person, and that's why you need to approach that person with a different strategy. Yeah, yeah this having a macro problem which is real, but then breaking that big problem down to smaller problems and and smaller actionable steps yeah. is important. Like if you can. Whether it's um, you know buying products that are use sustainable palm oil yeah. or no palm oil at all, mm -hmm. these little things that you can do when you go to the shop, yeah. that's yeah. not overwhelming. Saving the world from dying is overwhelming, but there's there's small little things that we can do, uh, and it's I think if we can emphasize communicating those small actionable steps, then that's really important because then that builds momentum. And then mm -hmm. those that momentum can lead to bigger actions and even more bigger actions down the track. Yeah, I think um, I think it's Jane Goodall or the Jane Goodall Institute that says it's like think global, act local, and I love that because it's it's so on point as to what really works for people. So think globally, but act locally. So you know, think about the big problems, but then do something locally that can actually make change. Yeah, because one thing that people often think as well is. They think that maybe their actions don't aren't important or won't make mm. a difference. But there's this quote, I think it's a Tanzanian proverb. Mm. It's little by little, little becomes a lot. Nice. And that's that's just how it is. Like it's the momentum thing. Just if you keep repeating these small tasks day by day, they build into something that's bigger. And if you inspire someone to do the same as well, it's just like a snowball effect. So yeah, every every action is important. Um yeah, and it's dangerous to have that mentality that my action isn't won't do anything because it definitely does. Mm. Um, you another thing that I kind of get concerned about is the finger pointing in this space because mm. this is a topic that obviously people, a lot of people, are very passionate about and for good reason. Um, but you often see people pointing the finger at someone who may not be doing 
Um, you know, if they're p- pointing the finger at someone that's meeting eat for, eating meat, for example, isn't a vegan or has a single use plastic water bottle, blah, blah, blah. What are your thoughts on that? Is it helpful? Definitely not. And um, yeah, definitely not. I don't think pointing fingers in any scenario on any topic is ever helpful because all it's doing is taking away from yourself. So if you're constantly looking at others and picking apart what they're doing wrong, you're actually just projecting onto them what you might not be doing yourself. So it's kind of a way of distancing yourself, um, you know, to look at what you you might need to be improving on. But I think um, in this space, in, ter- in terms of the environment, everybody is on their own journey. And, um, you know, I, I, love, I love to encourage people to do little things. Um, I've never been the preachy kind of sort with anything that I've, with anything that I do, um, because everybody is different. And, um, you know, I do get lots of people always saying to me, like messaging me like, Oh, I didn't, I just bought a, you know, metal straw. And I'm like, that's great. That's awesome. You know, like I'm want to encourage people to do those things, but, um, I don't think, you know, calling people out for not being a vegan is helpful to anyone. Um, I think that you focus on you and if you can encourage people or inform people about topics is great, but make them let their, you know, make up their own mind about what they want to do, but give them the resources. That's kind of what I, what I like to do. Yeah. Give them the resources and let them choose. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't mean you can't have a dialogue with a person about, you know, if you do this, this, this could be good or or will be good. It doesn't mean that you can't have a dialogue, but Mm. it just means don't be a dick to someone because if you're a dick to someone, <laughs> yeah. they're not going to change anything. And if you are an environmentalist or someone that's kind of concerned about the state of our planet, you want someone to be doing what they can. And you pointing the finger and look, looking down to someone isn't going to help them do the right thing. So, yeah, yeah it's just yeah. about is it helpful? No, it isn't helpful. So don't do it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Social media. Social media is a biggie um, for a lot of different ways. Um, can do plenty of good, but it can be harmful as well if it isn't managed properly. Mm. How important would you say social media is with regards to environmental education? Um, I think it's, I think it's quite important. Um, I believe, yeah, as you said, um, used in the right way, uh, or the right way, a good way. Um, yeah, it can be very effective. Um, even if you think of Greta, Thunberg, she's, you know, all over social media. A lot of people would only know about her through, say, Instagram or Facebook, maybe not the news if they don't watch it. Um, so it can be a very effective tool in um, spreading messages and informing people and educating the public. Um, I do think that, um, yeah, it, there is things on social media where, um, you know, claimed conservationists do stuff that um, is not very helpful to the public, like um, interacting with wild animals and making it seem like that's something that, tourists should go and do or you know there's there's quite a few things that that aren't um so great but um that's like with anything I suppose Mm -hmm. but I do think overall social media um is is a great platform to educate the public on the environment and and give them tools as to how they can how they can help yeah I definitely see that there's some you know people in on social media who are working with who are like animal influencers that perhaps aren't doing the right thing even though their audience may think that they are, Mm. but we don't have any say in, we can't take that account down, for example. So my idea around this is the only way that we can help mitigate that is by having more voices on the opposing side of the story. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, 
that's why uh, social media is important even in that aspect is to kind of be a voice for not even against these people because I'm more about showing not pointing like again the pointing the finger I'd rather not point the finger at these people I'd rather just um, showcase an alternative way to do it that is better and then back that up with you know facts and data yeah so this I'm very fascinated with this idea of social media and how it links with conservation um, specifically with how it can be detrimental for conservation because there's social media is fairly new and there probably isn't a lot of research done on on its effects good or, or bad but one idea that I'm always thinking about is can we like a animal to extinction? Mm. So on, so you have these chimpanzees, these tigers, and um, that are on these animal influence accounts, they get millions and millions of views. You go through their comments, people are asking the comments, where do I buy this tiger from? Mm. Where, do, where can I buy a chimpanzee? And um, some of these projects say that they fund on-the-ground conservation um campaigns which maybe they do but the thing is this and this no doubt is um fueling illegal illegal wildlife pet trade so the projects says let's take the chimpanzees for example if you're donating x amount of uh, dollars to these organizations that are fighting against anti like fighting against illegal wildlife trade that doesn't really make any sense if your content is is fueling that in the first place yeah, so I'm waiting for papers to be published on this because it's it is a new thing, mm. and I'd be very interested to see what correlations there are. Yeah, I think I mean the illegal wildlife trade is something I'm very passionate about. Like that's what I really learned about when I was 18 and in Africa was the illegal um, illegal wildlife trade and also you know poaching and and stuff like that. So it's yeah one of my biggest passions. So, um, yeah, when I do see these influences, you know, with these pet chimps and tigers and all this kind of stuff, um, and, you know, they're not explaining what's going on, why do they have these animals, you know, yeah, they just don't explain. They just show these cute videos of them holding a baby chimp or a tiger or whatever. It's not helpful to the public because the whole thing about education is if you don't know something and if you don't know what's wrong, totally. you're ignorant. and and it's kind of understandable. Like if you have this person who, you know, has millions of followers, you know, you might just believe them just because of how many other people are believing them. And if you don't know why it's wrong or what it's contributing to, then you might just be like, okay, I want a pet chimp. This guy is a pet chimp. Why can't I? Like it's this kind of ignorance and, and lack of education that really does fuel people buying animals illegally. Um, that's another reason why I think it's very important for conservationists to be active on social media because these potentially negative things that are happening, a lot of people have no idea about. Yeah. Like they, they see this, this person and they're like, they're like, oh, animal lover. I'm an animal lover. Like, I want to get a pet, whatever, exotic pet. And mm. because they love animals. Mm. It's this lack of, this is, mm-hmm. it's a lack of awareness. Like they're not a bad person. They think they're doing something good. Um, so it's a lack of awareness thing, um, which is why we need to engage in these conversations via podcasts or on social media, Yeah, especially if these issues are occurring on social media in the comment section, mm. like we need to raise awareness in the areas or the platforms where the attention currently is. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I even get like when I came home from Indonesia and stuff, like people jokingly, absolutely jokingly, but being like, oh, bring me back like a a baby orangutan or like, Mm -hmm. you know, like they're obviously joking, Mm -hmm. but like even that language of them thinking that they want a baby orangutan is so like, oh no, that's just Mm -hmm. like so not right because I've seen the other side of it of where it actually happens, yeah, how it happens, which is crazy so um yeah but it is yeah lack of education and awareness but um yeah um greta thunberg i always uh, mispronounce her last name yeah but greta legend she is absolute legend um but a lot of a lot of what she says and a lot of a big argument on the other side of this is the fact of climate anxiety so from a educator how can we package a high impact environmental message such as climate change in a way that sparks action without negatively affecting a person's mental health, say anxiety? Like how do we balance that this is important, we should act upon it, but you know, without affecting their mental health to a point where they become kind of frozen on the issue? Yeah. Um, I think uh, kind of a few main points that I found personally that worked for me because I've definitely had climate anxiety for sure. Um, I mean, working in the space that I do and and making a business out of it as well. um, Yeah, there's a lot of research involved, so I can definitely get anxious at times when there's big topics to tackle. Um, Things that I've found that work for me personally are, A, finding community and support groups that – that you can talk to about the environment, that you can share ideas and that are um, primarily supportive and motivating um, around the environment. So there's a group um, near where I am called um, the Green Team and they do like little functions and events and um, they're all very environmentally positive and supportive, which is great for me as well um, to lean into that if I'm feeling anxious or overwhelmed about the environment. So I think community is a great tool to use. Um, I also think when you're talking about these big environmental issues is to really strongly focus on what we can do. So there's a lot of things that we can't do. You know, there isn't, there is, um, you know, we don't, um, you know, we're not the government say, or we're not super high powered, but you know, collectively we have a lot of power. Um, but I think, yeah, that solution, solution-based kind of work and, um, and talking about that is, is really important as well. Um, instead of just dumping people with all this information um, that is super overwhelming and kind of saying, you know, you need to fix this or putting the responsibility too much on just the individual, um, banding together and, and saying, look, these are things that we can all do together is um is quite effective i think yeah i like the idea of the support network yeah are your ones do you, are they mainly offline or online both 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 yeah yeah, yeah a support network is super important and yeah because it's all about teamwork and collaboration yeah. um what advice would you give to someone who is looking to work in the environmental education space like yourself mm, advice okay Um, I would say, um, it's important to be passionate about what you're doing because I won't sugarcoat it. It can definitely, um, it is a hard space to work in, 
um, in the sense that, as we just talked about, it can be overwhelming um, and there can be some things that you have to research about or look into that can be not very nice. Um, so for me, what gets me through all that is also having that, that long-term goal and um, that drive and that passion. So if you have that passion, that will last you and that will um, keep you going through this space. Um, so have passion and um, absolutely do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a great space to work in. Um, yeah, but passion is passion is key. Passion is key. Yeah. Passion and having a goal. An end yeah. goal and then kind of smaller ma- a yes. macro goal, meso goal and a micro goal. Mm. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And the passion part in particular is important in anything yeah. that you do really. If you're trying to do something great is it's going to take a lot of hard work and yeah. it's easier to achieve something that's difficult if you're passionate about it yeah. because you'll put in the extra hours, you're more likely to overcome a down point or a stumble or a fail if you're passionate about it. So, yeah, passion is key. But in this eco space, because it's so big, there's so many small niches that you could potentially be passionate about. Yeah. Like it's not like like for me, I guess my niche at the moment is through conservation communication that's mm. kind of specific to like social media yeah um so creating content for social media but also like the marketing like the communication platforms that are relevant today such as like podcasting this is something a new thing that i'm doing um but yeah th- that's i guess my niche and because i've always been into technology i've never been into social media mm. by the way i've like i hate being in front of a camera and i don't like taking photos well. of myself <laughs> like that's that's the ironic thing but i love technology and the part that i'm fascinated with this is the fact that it's like a new technology and it's like how can i leverage this for that's better for that has like positive results so yeah that's my niche and there's your niche could be in you could be a, a, a gamer i don't know you could be what are the games that all the kids are playing these days oh, i don't know no. but the, the but idea is you could be a gamer who's who's yeah. passionate about saving the planet and you can combine those two things somehow yeah, yeah. Like that's I mean, the idea and, and then you can showcase that to the world through the internet and you can create a podcast about it. Yeah, exactly. There's so many things and I think also what um, I really like to um, talk to people about is that um, everyone can be an environmentalist. You don't have to make it your career. You don't have to be like me and like make it your business to go and be environmental educator, environmental filmmaker, or whatever. But you can be an environmentalist. You can be a conservationist um, in any space that you actually work in Um, because without the environment, we have nothing. So we all really need to chip in some way, you know. Um, You know, I go to, for instance, I go to a hairdresser that's eco-friendly. They, like, recycle a lot of their products. Um, They don't use toxins, um, you know, in their hair products. They they do lots of things, but that's them being eco-friendly and being a hairdresser. So... There's lots of ways people can um, actually contribute still. Yeah, 100% on board with that. Okay, how can people connect with you online? Um, so Instagram is at wild underscore education, um, Facebook wildeducation.info, um, email as well, wildeducation at gmail.com <laughs> and website. So, yeah, all all kind of ways that you can connect with me. Yeah, so many ways, so many ways. Okay, last question. Sure. What message or question do you want to leave the listeners of 
the conservation trap? Oh, a question. Um, I think just a question would just be a self-reflective question. Uh, what impact are you going to make today for the environment? Thanks everyone for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please feel free to subscribe. And if you want to be an extra legend, then please also leave a review. It really does help grow the channel. Thanks again, and I will see you in the next episode.